This week's parsha is parsha Shemais, and in Perak Bay's pasuk Yudzayin, the Torah teaches us one of the uh, first stories that we find with Meishar Abenu that when he was going to Midjan, he was by a, a well, and there were some girls who turned out to be the daughters of Yisrael who were being accosted and being tormented by the shepherds. And Moshe Rabbeinu gets up by a shion. He saves them from the troubles that they were causing these young girls. And we know the rest of the story that they came home and they told their father that this Ishmitzri saved us from the shepherds and he even gave our sheep to drink. Yisrael insists that they invite him to come to the home. And eventually, Meshe Rabbeinu, of course, marries one of these daughters of Yisrael by the name of Tzipayro. The Chavitz Chaim, in his Sefer al points out that if you follow the storyline, as a result of Meshe Rabbeinu's chesed that he did for the daughters of Yisrael, that he saved them from the tormentors. He marries the daughter of Sipira, uh, the daughter of Yisrael, by the name of Sipira. And later in the parasha, when Moshe Rabbeinu returns to Mitzrayim after his stint in Midjan, so there's a very strange parasha. I remember my father, Zechariah Levracha, from when I was a small child, said that this parasha in the Torah is one of the great mysteries of the Torah. It's very hard to understand exactly what this parsha is talking about. But it's the parsha of when Meshra Abeno procrastinated in being Mal, his son. And you'll have to look in the Mepharshim really to understand what's going on. But Meshra Abeno was about to be killed as a result of this until Sipira comes and she's Mal, the son, and that saves Meshur Rabbeinu's life. Very difficult parsha there to figure out, but that's basically the understanding of that parsha that Meshur Rabbeinu was, did not, he was not mal his son appropriately at the time that he was supposed to, and the Gemara speaks about this, what exactly the cheshman of Meshur Rabbeinu was. Sipira went, and even though Meshur Rabbeinu was being swallowed up, he was about to die, Sipira went and did the job, and as a result, she saved Meish Rabbeinu's life. And the Chavitz Chaim says, this is the way it works with chesed. Whatever a person does, always gets repaid. Meish Rabbeinu saved the life of Sipira, and automatically, almost naturally, it was going to happen that Sipira should someday save Meish Rabbeinu's life. And this is a very, very important yisait of chesed. And the reason why it's so important to keep this yisait of the Chavetz Chaim in mind at all times is because one of the main reasons why we don't like performing chesed is that we don't see how it's going to benefit ourselves. At the end of the day, we might be very nice people, we might be very altruistic people, we might like being people that come to others' assistance, but 
it's difficult because at the end of the day we are very self-absorbed. Everybody is. It doesn't mean that uh, it's not an insult to tell a person that they're self-absorbed. Even the great Bali Musser spoke about this and, and understood the difficulty of really branching out beyond yourself. Some say don't even bother because it's never going to happen. We're so consumed all day and all night with ourselves, who we are, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're tired, uh, we want to do this, we want to do that, we're ambitious, we want to make a good living, we want to get covered, we want to um, have a family, but it's all primarily for us. Obviously, we also have maybe other people in mind collaterally, but the main focus, and if you examine yourself honestly, you'll see that that's the way it is. You're always focused on yourself. We're always thinking about ourselves. That's the way the Rabbi Shalom wired us. We're designed to protect ourselves, to care about ourselves, to be mefarnes ourselves, to protect our egos, to have a, to have a family for, so that we have a legacy. That's the way our, our mind works. If that's true, and it is, so how do we then go and do chesed for others? How do I go and what's my motive to go and help you? What's my motive to go and visit a sick person in the hospital? Or to join an organization like Hatzalah, like Haverim, that go selflessly day and night to go and come to the rescue of others? How do you, why would I do that? So one very easy way to do it is by understanding this Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim is giving us a very important tool to motivating us to do things for others and that is that you should know that when you're doing something for others you're really doing it for yourself. Don't think that I'm wasting my time by helping you when I could be doing something instead for myself because the greatest investment in doing things for others and doing chesed for somebody else is really the dividends that it will pay for you. That's not saying that that's the greatest lishma of chesed. Obviously, if a person could do something totally for somebody else, that would be great. But until that point happens, understand that when you do chesed for somebody else, you are going to be the beneficiary. Meish Rabbeinu did the chesed for somebody else, and that ended up saving his very own life. That's the nature of chesed. There's a boomerang effect of chesed. That's not my phrase. I think there was a, a book called um, The Chesed Boomerang. Somebody coined the phrase. I forgot who wrote that book. But that's a, it's a known concept in Chesed that what you do for somebody else boomerangs and it affects you very personally. This is actually a Gemara in Ksuvas. The Gemara in Ksuvas and Ayin Aleph from the Beis and it goes to Ayin Beis and Aleph has a Mishnah. And the Mishnah says something very interesting, that if a person is madras ishtai, I say to my wife that I swear, I'm making a nether, that you are not allowed to go to any more chasnas, or you're not allowed to go to any more shiva houses. So, you have to divorce her and give her a ksuva, meaning that's the end of the relationship. A husband cannot stay married to a wife who is forbidden by the nature of the relationship to go to a wedding or to go to a shiva house, to go to a funeral. So the Gemara asks, I don't understand. He says, I understand 
why you're not supposed to stop your wife from going to Chasnas. Because the Lashon of the Gemara is that if you do so, then Ikanayo Bifanao. You're locking a door. Rashi says the Delas Shal Simcha, the doorway of happiness, the gateway of happiness that a, that a woman has by attending a Simcha is very important to a, to a woman. It's important to all of us to be able to have a, an outlet, to be able to have an escape from our misery of life, Rashi says. Sometimes a person has a lot of pain, a lot of stress, and it's nice to go to a wedding, to go to a simcha, to go to a chasna, and to relax, and to hear music, and to rejoice, and to dance. That's a very critical part of life. And if I say to my wife, you can't go to a chasna, that's basically locking a door of simcha, and that's not a relationship that's sustainable. You cannot allow a wife to not have the outlet of simcha, and if you do your marriage is finished. So, divorce her and give her a and that's it. You have to terminate the relationship because the relationship really has been terminated by your nether. You can't stop a woman from having a nice life, from having a joyful existence. If you do, then that's the end of the marriage. That, the Gemara says, I get. But why if I say to my wife, you are never to go to a Levaya, you're never to go to a Shiva house anymore, why is that such a terrible thing? Maybe that's a good thing. I don't want my wife to be upset, to be depressed, to be, to be down. So I say, listen, I, I see when you go to a, a funeral, it depresses you. I'm being mad to you. No more, no more Levias for you. Still, the, the Mishnah says, Yaitzibitin Ksivasi, after divorce her. Why? What kind of Ni'ilas Delas is there there? What am I locking her out of? What is she being deprived of? by not being able to attend funerals. And the Gemara says, Tana l'machar himesa ve'en kal beria saifta v'ika da'amri ve'en kal beria saifna Someday, she's going to die, and this is what's going through her mind, and no one is going to be around to bury her. Or nobody is going to be around to eulogize her. Because she didn't do that for anyone else. If I'm telling her that she's not allowed to attend anyone's funeral, to eulogize somebody, to, to provide nechama for other people in their state of avelas, then no one is going to reciprocate. And that's anilas telas. And then the Gemara continues and says, What does the Pasuk mean that Shlomo Melech writes in Kayelas, Taiv Leches al Beisa Avel, Milaches al Beisa Mishta, that it's better to go to an Avel house, to a house of mourning, than to go to a, a party? Basher, Husayf Kala Adam, Achaitin Alibai, and all living people by going to an Avel house are going to contemplate life. So the Gemara says, Devarim shall miso. When a person goes to an Oval house, they think about life and they think about matters pertaining to death. And what are those matters? That if you are masfid somebody else, they will be masfid you. If you bury somebody else, they will bury you someday. If you provide comfort, 
they will provide comfort for you. If you are malava them, they will be malava you. And therefore Rashi says, A person should go to the base Avel, and a person that goes to a base Avel walks away with an epiphany. There's going to be a great lesson that's taken away from the base Avel. You know what that is? That when I go to a base Avel, I recognize that my life is limited, I am immortal, I will also die. And therefore I have to engage myself in acts of chesed because the more that I do for others, the more people will reciprocate. If I want people to attend my levaya, I better start going to other people's levaya. If I want people to be maspid me, i got to be maspid other people. If I want people to be malava me, I better be malava other people. That's the way it is. When it comes to chesed, there's a reciprocity to chesed. If you do something for others, others will do back for you. And that's the way it is with chesed. And that's v'achayit and alibay. That's a motivating factor. This is what the Gemara is telling us. You have to be motivated by the knowledge, by the understanding that the more that you do for somebody else, the more they will do back for you. V'achayit and alibay. Stagavorcha, there is a, a beautiful story that I heard um, I don't know if this story is going to be a steer to what we're saying today or not, but it's, it's, it, it's just a relevant story, I think. When Rav Shmuel Rizovsky, the great Rashiva Panovich, was a bacher, so he never went to other people's chasmus. Never went to other people's chasmus, because he, didn't, he was a, the biggest masman in the yeshiva. He just sat and learned day and night. And even though people were getting married, all his friends were getting married, he made a takana for himself. He never wanted to go to other people's chasmus. His best friend, his chavrusa, his, 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 his chabura, it doesn't matter. He did not go. He sat and learned. The night that he got married, all the bachram and all his friends, whichever yeshiva he was learning in, all of his friends got together and said, we are making a takana. Nobody is to go to his chasna. Shmuel Rizovsky did not come to our chasna. He's too big a masmid. He didn't have time for us. We're not going to have time for him. And Taka, they did not go to his chasna. They made an embargo on his chasna. Nobody went to his chasna. And his chasna was the most depressing chasna ever. Have you ever been to a chasna without bakram dancing and you just have, you know, some older people, you know, clapping or whatever? It's not a, it's not a chasna. A chasna needs bakram. So, Rabshmo Rizovsky was very depressed that night. Because, you know, he was dancing with, like, some 80-year-old men, and, like, it was, like, it was, you know, he wanted to have a chasna, like everybody else had, but, you know, mida keneged mida, nobody came to his chasna. And years later, he would say, the night that I got married was the most depressing night of my life. He says, but that night is what made me Reb Rizovsky. Meaning, I understand that that was the price that I had to pay, but I, I felt that on a certain level I had to do it, and that's what made me who I am. So, but there is, you do see from the story at least that a great motivating factor of doing chesed is that if you want other people to do chesed for you, you have to do it for yourself. If you're a miser when it comes to doing chesed, don't be surprised that people are going to act miserly back to you. 
If you never visit somebody that's sick, you never take care of your roommate in the dormitory when he's not feeling well, you don't bring him a meal and you don't uh, come and visit and take him to a doctor and, and ask how he's doing, then don't be surprised if when Leilenu, you have a similar situation, he doesn't help you. Why should he? If you don't go to people's chasnas and dance like crazy, they're not going to come to your chasna. This is the way of life. This is the, the chesed uh, reality. The reality is that if you want people to do chesed with you, you have to do chesed for other people. So this is, in a sense, a great motivator. It might be shalai l'shma, but it's a great motivator to actually do chesed. Whenever you're on the fence, should I go to a chasna, should I not go to a chasna, think about, would you want somebody else to come to your chasna? If you want other people to come to your chasna, you better go to their chasnas. Last night I, I went to Lakewood. If I seem a little tired today, it's because I am. I had a chasna in Lakewood on Sunday. You know, everybody knows that I don't like going to chasnas in Lakewood. It's like I'd rather go to the moon. Somebody once made a chasna in Chicago, and I spoke by their Sheva Brachis. All their other kids got married in Lakewood, and one kid got married in Chicago. So by the, by the chasna, by the Sheva Brachis, I said that I'm so grateful that the chasna was in Chicago. Because it's, I'd rather go to Chicago than to go to Lakewood. It's just easier. You know, here I, I hop on a plane at LaGuardia, I go to Chicago, and I'm there. Here I have to schlep and whatever. So last night I had a chasen again in Lakewood. Two chasens in Lakewood in one week is really off the charts impossible for me. I, I get very tired after I drive a whole, you know, back and forth to Lakewood in one sitting. And... I took my daughter with one of my daughters. Uh, I try to take a child every time I go to a chasna just to spend time and, you know, get to, you know, reacquainted with my children once in a while. And um, so I told her in the car that the reason why I'm going to this chasna, it's a very close friend of mine who is marrying off a daughter in Lakewood. I really have no kaifas to go. In fact, I pulled over to the side of the road. I was almost falling asleep in the car and I pulled over to the side of the road for 15 minutes. I was exhausted. And she said, why, why are you going to this hospital in Lakewood? And I said, when I got married, he was learning in Kylo in Florida. And he flew in as a married person, you know, with a, already a mishpacha. He, flew, he didn't have that much money. He was learning in Kylo. He flew in to be at my chasna. We're going back 22 years ago. He says... And I, I said, like, he did that for me, and I, so I, I can't not go to his chasna. He's making a chasna. How can I not go to his chasna? He flew into my chasna from Florida, so I could drive to, uh, to Lakewood for, for him. That's what was going through my mind. That's the reality of chesed. Chesed is, I'm going to do you chesed, but you know why I'm going to do you chesed? Because you did me chesed. Or because I think someday you will do me back a chesed. And that's the way it is. That's the reality of chesed. Chesed works with a reciprocity. If I do something for you, you're going to do something back for me. The Gemara says it in the Furish, that what you're thinking about when you are going to a, a Levaya is, you know what? I better do a lot of chesed for other people if I want people to do this back for me. If I want people to give a hespit and a nice hespit, I better, I better do a lot of things for other people. I always think, you know, you see like these biographies of G'dayla Yisrael. Chapter after chapter after chapter. Full of amazing things that they did with their lives. 
And I think those books are, are, you know, it could either be very depressing to read those books, or it could be a very great inspiration to understand that if you want somebody to write a biography on, you know, maybe not a physical biography, but at least to, to understand how great you were in your life, you have to do these things now. You have to emulate people that did chesed. If you want people to understand how you really put yourself out, you have to do that. You have to do the things that are difficult to do. But this is what it takes to do to be a Baal Chesed. You have to get yourself to do things. And the ultimate motivation to do things is, for us mortals that are very concerned about ourselves, understand that the more you do for others, the more you will get back from others. The more your legacy will, will thrive because you're doing for others. There's a Balaturim in Parshish Vayechi, an amazing Balaturim. The beginning of Vayechi, it says that Yaakov Avinu lived for 17 years in Mitzrayim at the end of his life. And that number 17, says the Balaturim, is very important because it reminds us of a different 17 years and those are the 17 years that Yosef lived at the beginning of his life by his father. And they were so close. Before he was sold down to Mitzrayim, he was 17 years old. So the Balaturim says that those numbers, 17 years of Yosef by his father at the beginning of his life, and 17 years of Yaakov Avinu's life at the end of his, are not coincidental. The Balaturim says that because Yaakov was Mepharnes Yosef for those first 17 years of his life, Yosef ended up being Mepharnes, his father, for the last 17 years of his life. That's the way it is. It's a, it's, there's a reflective nature to chesed. I take care of my children. Hopefully someday my children will take care of me. I saw once a bumper sticker. It says, be nice to your children. They will choose your nursing home. Be careful. You, when you take care of your children, the way that you take care of your children, if you take care of them well, and you, you, know, you make sure that they're well taken care of, and they're happy, and they're healthy, and that you give to them and give more, that will all come back to you someday. The more you put into something, that's an investment. And there will be a great ROI. There's going to be a great return on investment someday. That's the way chesed works. When I was uh, a bacher, I learned in, in Long Beach Yeshiva for high school and, and one year base medrash. And I had a very good friend, and his name is Shragi Goldberg. And today he's, uh, he lives in Lakewood. I, he was at the Chasna last night, but I missed him. But um, he's a very chashiva person. And when he was in high school with me, he had a minig that every Friday he would go before Shabbos to the local supermarket, it was called Waldbaum's, and he would go and buy two things every Shabbos, not for himself, but for the Ayom. For everyone, everyone that wanted to take in yeshiva, they knew his lacquer combination, and they knew you know, if it was in the refrigerator with his name on it, that was really for everybody. He bought two things every week. One was 
uh, a Reisman brownie cake. And the other thing was like a pickle jar, but it wasn't pickles. It was like uh, it was like shayurakis. You know the there's like a mush of pickle. Like it, I don't know what it is. It's like dill and uh, um, you know like all like a, like this, it looks like scraps of pickles and everything. They they dip it in a jar. It's whatever. That that's what he bought. I don't know why, but that's what he bought it. Every single Friday, like clockwork, he'd go to Wallbounds, get those two things, put the brownie in his locker, and put the, that pickle jar in, in the fridge. And everybody knew if they were learning late Friday night, or they were learning Shabbos afternoon, they were hungry, they'd go to his locker and they would take whatever they wanted. That was his chesed. And every single week, 9th grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, at the end of 12th grade, he went to Wallbaum's, and I saw this with my own eyes. He went to Wallbaum's, and he stuck his hand in the in the uh, on the pickle shelf to get that jar, and there was a jar of pickles on that shelf that was broken, and there was like a jagged broken glass that he cut his hand on very badly, and he started bleeding. And the people that worked at Wallbaum's right away went into damage control, and they, you know, they brought him, uh, you know, napkins and bandages or whatever. They whisked him into the office, and they basically made him sign a uh, like a waiver that he's not going to sue Wallbaum's. They're very, they were very afraid of, of a lawsuit, and in as a repayment for that, they cut him a check right away on the spot. They cut him a check. Now the check wasn't for you know a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars, like a nice even number. It was like some random number, like mamish, like I don't know, like four hundred eighty-three dollars and sixty-three cents, like some really weird number. I don't know where they came, what the gematria of that is. I don't know where they came up with it. But that was what they. That's the check that they got. He came back to yeshiva, and and we were discussing this. Like it's so interesting that they would give you this and this this particular number. And then we sat down and we made a cheshpen of how much the pickles and the brownies cost every week times the exact amount of weeks over the course of four years. And it mamish came out to the dollar of that amount that they cut him that check for. But this is not not a Baba Maisa that I'm telling you that I heard, you know, you know, Ishmi Shad This is something that I saw, you know, myself. Because that's the way that the Rabbi Nishlam runs the world. There's never a time that you will do chesed for somebody else that you will not be repaid in one form or another. It will come back to you. There's a famous Balaturim that says on the word v'yitnu, v'nasnu, v'nasnu, by Parshas Truma. V'nasnu, the Balaturim says, is a palindrome. It could be read backwards and forwards because whatever you give comes right back to you. There is never an investment of chesed that you will do that does not have a payoff. Everything that you do comes back. Meishu Rabbeinu saves Sipairat, Sipairat saves Meishu Rabbeinu. You're maspid somebody, somebody will someday be maspid you. You do, yeah, you dance at somebody's chasen, they will dance at your chasen. Not just because they owe you, but because that's the way the Rabbeinu Shalom makes the world. The Rabbeinu Shalom promises you that whatever you do in terms of chesed will never go back, will never be chayzeris reikam. You will always get a return on every, every, anything that you do. 
There's an amazing Misa about the stipler. The stipler was very poor. Throughout his whole life he was very poor, especially when he was a bacher. When he was a bacher learning in Nevardic, he was exceptionally poor. He said once that he wanted to go to the Levaya of the Chavetz Chaim when he was Nifter in 1933 in Radin, but he couldn't afford the transportation to get from his yeshiva to Rabin. I don't know how far away it was. I don't know which branch of, uh, of the Nevada. Nevada was a very big network of yeshivas. I'm not sure exactly which one he was in at the time. But he, it was not so far, but he couldn't afford. He had zero money. He could not afford to get to the, yeshiva, to, to, get to the funeral. So he needed a safer. There was a safer that had come out um, in the early 1900s by a big Talmud Chacham in Brisk. The name of the Sefer is the Imre Moshe. And Imre Moshe is one of the, the classic Achrenish Svarim. And the stipler who was thirsting, he had you know, the greatest bikush of Taira in his dar. He wanted the Sefer very badly, but like I said, he couldn't afford it. So what he did was, he wrote a letter to the author of the Sefer. He got the author's name and address from the Sefer, from a copy of the Sefer that he saw. And he wrote a letter and he says, listen, I learned in this, in this yeshiva, I've seen your sefer, it's brilliant, I would love to have a copy of it, but, and I, I wish I could send you money, but I can't afford it, I Pasha don't have money. I hope to someday you know, be able to have money and save up, and I'll try to send you money in installments, but in the meantime, please do me the chesed of sending me the sefer in Remesha so that I can learn from it. So the author sends the stipler a package with his safer in it, and in it he says, it's okay, you don't owe me the money, I, as long as Tamid Chum learn my safer, I'm happy. If you're telling me that you're learning the safer, it's yours, take it as a matana, sign the Imre Meisha. And then the war broke out, and Kiyadua, the Nazis... The Muhammad of the Nazis was not so much against Klai Yisrael as it was against the Tyra. And the, they, they tried to destroy and burn every remnant of Tyra that was under, in their, where they were shaylet over. Every country, the first victim of their persecution was not the Jewish bodies, but it was the Sfarim. They had a vengeance for burning and destroying Kisveyad, Sifrei Tyra, and that was the Nazis' first line. Of the, their first battle was against the Tyra itself. I read once a story about a child who, Rabbi Yosef Friedensen, who was uh, one of the great uh, survivors of the war that went on to document much of the atrocities of the Nazis. He had a, a, like, a, like a newspaper, a Yiddish newspaper called Das Yiddish Advart. And he was a very eloquent writer in Yiddish. He was Nifter a few years ago. And um, Sir Yosef Friedensen writes in one of his articles, in one of his books, how he remembers as a young child Nazis coming into his parents' home and his father wasn't home and they, they were looking for his father and his mother said, I'm sorry, the father wasn't home and they were about to leave. And then they notice on the shelf a beautiful shas beautiful leather-bound on the shelf. And he writes how all of a sudden like the Nazis got into some inexplicable rage 
and they took these volumes of shas and they started like ripping them up and stomping on them and making like a, a melchama against the he, he said, I didn't understand it. Like, what are you fighting with, a, with volumes for? You know, in war you go to battle against human beings. You don't go to battles against books. But the Nazis understood that their melchama was against the Rabbi Shalom. It was against Tyrus Yisrael. And, and they, were, they were bent on destroying every remnant of Tyrus. Besides for Klal Yisrael, they were bent on destroying every remnant of Tyrus Yisrael. And so they destroyed so many books, the Nazis. We don't talk about it because we're, we, we rightfully you know, focus on the six million Kedoshim. But if you would, just for a second, begin to fathom how many millions of Svarim, including Kisveyad, that were never seen, that were never heard from again, were destroyed, manuscripts never published, how much Tyre was lost in the Holocaust, it's, it's English Ayer. After the war, the Stipler survived the war with his few Svarim that he had, one of them being the Imre Meish, and he, took, he eventually ended up in Eretz Yisrael, the Talmidim of the Imre Meisha wanted to republish the, Re- the Rebbe Sefer, the Imre Meisha. And they were not able to find a single copy in the world. They scoured planet Earth to try to find the Imre Meisha. There was none in America, apparently. There were none in, uh, you know, anywhere else but in Europe. And they were all destroyed by the Nazis. So there wasn't a single Shemitz of the Imre Meisha's Taira. And they were so upset until they found out that the stipler in B'nai Brak happened to have the last copy, possibly, of the Imre Meisha in existence. And they tracked him down, and they got the safer from him, and because of that, we have copies of the Imre Meisha. But if not for the fact that the Imre Meisha himself did a chesed with the stipler, he could have said, I'm sorry, you know, get the money together, and then we'll think about sending you a copy. He said, I'm doing you a chesed, here's, here's the Imre Meisha, and it's on me, it's on the house. Because of that mice of chesed the Imre Meisha did, there's an Imre Meisha in the world today. It's the Nasnu, whatever you do for somebody else, you will get repaid. The great, is there a greater investment that the Imre Meisha ever made in his life than giving that free copy to the stipler? If not for that act of chesed, there would be no Imre Meisha in the world. There's another great Misa. There was a uh, there was a person that works for Chaverim. Chaverim is one of these great organizations that Klai Yisrael invented that no one else in the world ever would think to do. I mean, the AAA did it, but they get paid for it. Um, purely Al Chesed, and it's a good it's a good number to have in your in your pocket when you need it. Um, that if your car breaks down wherever you are you call Chaverim and they come like a, you know, a from guy Hasidish guy whatever they come and they, they will fix your flat they will boost your, your engine they will uh, I don't know whatever, whatever service you need for your car they will be there for you I think I've told the Misa many times how I had a Talmud who, uh, who came to me um, sitting at that table it was many many years ago um, maybe 15 years ago and he says, Rebbe, I lost my, my car keys and my house keys or whatever they fell, I was coming out of my car and they fell down into the sewer grate on 150th street in front of Yeshiva what do I do? 
These are questions that, you know, mashkichim need to, to have answers to. So I said, I don't know exactly what to tell you, but maybe try Chavim. Chavim had just started in Queens. Um, and I said, try calling them, and maybe they have an Eitzah. You know, it's a car piece, maybe that's Shayach the car. So, you know, so give it a shot. Let me know what happens. So he calls Chavim, and like a guy comes very quickly, and he says, do you need a, a boost? He says, no, my car Baruch Hashem works. He says, Were you, are your keys stuck in, in the car? And he says, Halavai, my keys should be stuck in the car. My keys drop down into a subway, into the, into the sewer grate, you know, 20 feet down. And uh, I don't know how to get them out. Could you help me? He says, sure, I could help you. And he goes to his car, and he takes out of his, his the back seat of his car, he had like a fishing box, if you know what that is, like with, you know, with, with all types of tools and tchotchkes, you know, that anything that he may need in, a, in times of crisis. He had a, like a long um, fishing line, like a, you know, 50-foot fish, fish, fishing line. At the end of it was a very strong magnet. Again, this is, I saw this myself. And he starts lowering this magnet down into the, into the, into the sewer grate as deep as it needed to go. And then he pulls up the keys as if it was like nothing. That's Chaveirim. That's like one of the great organizations of Kali Yisrael. So this guy in Lakewood that was part of Chaveirim, he had a, uh, he got a call. It was Erev Yantiv. It was Erev Pesach. He gets a call uh, from somebody that lived in Lakewood. And he said, uh, you know, I need your help. You're Chaveirim. He says, yeah, okay, what, your car is stopped. Where's your car sold? Tell me the address and I'll come and I'll, you know, is it on the side of the, the highway? He says, no, it's in my driveway. I just can't start it. He says, buddy, listen, I, I love doing chesed, but, you know, it's Arab Pesach for me also. If your car's in the driveway and you're safe, like, can it wait, like, let's say, till Cholomayit or after Yantif or whatever, like, why do I have to, like, take away my time now? Um, on Arab Pesach, when I'm busy with, you know, with my matzahs and my mor and my, my charesis, whatever I'm busy with, and I have to go now and start fixing your, your, your car, giving you a boost or fixing your tire or whatever it needed, needed to be done. It's in your driveway. Leave me alone. So he says, no, no, no. He says, I'm not Stama person. He says, I'm in Hatzalah. And I need my car. If Chas over Yantif, I'm going to have to get out and to help somebody. So... I'm going to need your, I, I need, you know, I need this service now. So he said, okay, I hear, I'm going to come over as soon as I can. He came over and he fixed his, he fixed his, uh, he fixed his car. So then it worked and he thanked him. And of course, you know the end of the story. That night was Seder night. And the, 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 the Chaveirim guy who came and fixed his car, his mother-in-law was eating by his Seder for Yantif. And she started choking in the middle of the Seder. And he calls Chaveirim, and the closest, he calls Hatzalah, and the closest Hatzalah guy was this guy who he fixed the car for an Arab Yantif. He came right over, and he saved his mother-in-law's life. Okay, it wasn't a perfect ending, fine, but, but um, that was a joke. But, um, but, but that was, that's the way it is. There's a Mida Keneged Mida, there's a mida, I really hope my mother is not watching this. Um, there's a mida kineg and mida of, of chesed. If you do chesed for somebody else, 
somebody else will do chesed back for you. And very often it's immediate. When you do chesed for somebody else, there's a quid pro quo. It's venosnu. You give and you get back. It never happened in the history of the world that I do chesed for you and I didn't get paid back. It always happens. This is the way the Rabbeinu Shalom runs the world. There's a local um, Rav here in, in Queens and his name is uh, Rabbi Zakatinsky. And he has an organization called uh, Hashivenu. Hashivenu is a Kirov organization. He does very good work. He's Makarov, many, many uh, people that are not from and, you know, young young people that went off the derech and he's metapo with them. And one day he gets a phone call from a Rosh Hashiva and the Rosh Hashiva, a prominent Rosh Hashiva on his, he had a son who was basically off the derech. And he calls Rabbi Zakatinsky and he says, would you please uh, do me a favor and try to contact him and work your magic on him. He really needs a Yeshua and he's whatever, he's doing terrible things and, and he needs somebody and I, I can't help him, he doesn't listen to me and I'm, I'm desperate and I need, I heard that you're, that you're amazing, that you know how to, how to talk to these young men and please do whatever you can for him, would you help me? He says, yes I will. He says, I will definitely help you and he took down the name and the, and the information and he was metapple very hard uh, to, to, to bring this child back. And he, Rabbi Zakatinsky tells us Rosh Hashiva, he says, I want you to know why I'm especially motivated to help you. He says, when I was a bacher in yeshiva, I was brought up in my early years in my, uh, you know, in elementary school, I went to yeshiva, I think in New Haven, Connecticut, very, you know, shvacha education that I, I got. I really was not ready to go to a, a, a real, you know, chashiva high school yeshiva, yeshiva high school. But yet I went to yeshiva high school for, a, after I finished my elementary school, and I was not prepared. I was ill-equipped educationally to handle the curriculum. It was just too, it was overwhelming for me. Everybody already knew how to make a laning on the Gemara, and I didn't. Everybody knew, had a lot of ideas already that I didn't have. And I was sort of, you know, drowning in, uh, in this experience. And on Shabbos, that first Shabbos that I was in Yeshiva, and I had a test coming up, and I needed to, to have somebody help me because I wasn't doing well. I needed somebody to tutor me, to mentor me, to help me. I went to like a, a base medrash guy on Shabbos afternoon. I said, would you mind, you know, going over the Mishnah Brewer with me? I have a test tomorrow. He says, no, I'm sorry, I'm busy learning my own things. And then he went over to another person, another Chashev Vesmeder guy, and again he said, I'm, I'm sorry, I have a Chavrus in five minutes, I, I can't. And he went over to a third guy, and it's very embarrassing, you know, when you have to go, or like a Schnarrer, to go person to person and try to find somebody to teach you, to learn with you, and they're not saying yes, it's very humiliating. And so four guys said no to me. He says, and then there was a fifth base medrash guy, and I said to myself, listen, I'm going to go over to him. And if he says yes, fine. But if not, he says, Sunday morning I'm out of yeshiva. He says, I'm going home, I'll go to public school, whatever it takes, I don't care. But I'm not going through busyness anymore like this. He says, and there can't be one single base medrash guy that will do the chesed of learning with a younger bacher who needs help and they're all turning a blind eye to me for some reason, then this is not the place for me, I'm going home. 
said, so I asked this base Medrashbacher to help me. And he said, yes. And he learned with me the whole Shabbos afternoon. Not only then, but he, he made another stage with me. And every Shabbos we learned together. And he really allowed me to grow and develop in my learning. And if not for him, I don't know if I'd be from today. I, I, I owe everything that I have to this one base Medrashbacher. And the Rashiva said, okay, that's a nice story, but why are you telling it to me? He says, because you were the base Medrashbacher. He says, you probably don't remember me because you did chesed with so many other people. You learned with so many other Bachram that you probably don't remember that you learned with me. He says, but that learning that you did with me changed the course of my life. I will do anything for you and I'm going to help you get your son back. That's how it works with chesed. Don't think, well, I'm learning with a young... Why should I learn with somebody that's shacher than me? Uh, you know, for what? Like, let me... I want to polish up my own skills. I'm in yeshiva only a short amount of time, a couple of years. I want to get good and learn. I want to be a big lambda. Why? By giving over time to learn aleph phase with somebody else or, or a relative aleph phase by learning on a basic level with somebody that doesn't have the, you know, the cup that I need as a chavrusa, it's going to, it's going to hurt me. But it won't. It will never hurt you. It will always help you. One way or another, the Rabbani Shalom will repay you capable to fly him of whatever you give to other people. That's the way it works. There's a tshuva that Ramesha has. He says, just like you give miser of your money to others, to aniyim, he says, you have to give miser of your time to help people that are aniyim bedas. There's always guys in yeshiva that need a help, that need help, that they're... they're that, you know, they're a little, they're, they're, you see in shear, they're not getting shear, they're not able to learn properly, they don't have the skills, they don't have the tools. And, and they need help, they want help, they're, they're thirsting, they, they're, they're, what, what do they have to do? And what do they have to do to ask you to, to help them? This is all they want, so help them. Somebody asks you to learn, would never say no to somebody that asks you to learn. Nassim Tzvi Finkel, who's Rashiva of Mir, he had thousands of Talmidim, He's a brilliant person himself. If anyone ever asked him to learn with him, he would say yes. He would make starm in the wee hours, the day and the night, with Parkinson's, with thousands of Bachram, with a budget of millions of dollars to cover, with a family of his own, with grandchildren of his own. He had many, many other responsibilities. But if anyone ever came over to him and asked to make a Chavrusa shop with him, he would. If not some Fingal. He learned with little, the pictures of him learning with little kids who asked him to learn with him. He, we learned that. He loved teaching. He loved learning. And he understood that this is the Achrayas of a Yid. Somebody asks you to learn with you, you learn with them. What you, I don't have time. You don't have time. You see somebody drowning, you don't throw them, you don't jump in and help them, help them survive. Somebody's drowning spiritually or they want to learn, so help them. What are you waiting for? And you think you're going to lose out? You think the Rebbein Shem is going to punish you for, for being giving Tairas Chesed to other people? The Rebbein Shem will make you a Rashiva someday because of it. Hibsham Shemifal Hirsch has a beautiful vart. The Tairas says, Neitzer Chesed La'alafim. What does that mean? 
He does chesed for thousands of generations. So, Rav Shamshir Falhersh says the word netzer is from a lotion of like a sapling, like a seed, like there's a lotion of netzer matai, like a sapling that you plant. Hakrishpachu is netzer chesvalafim, which means that when you do chesed with somebody else, Hakrishpachu takes note of that and he plants that chesed in the ground. And he makes that chesed come to life as a repayment, la'alofim. For thousands of generations after you did that maisa of chesed, HaKadosh Baruch Hu holds that maisa of chesed in obeyance when it's necessary to happen. So a mashal, if a person is um, in need of a chesed and somebody comes to you when you need it, person's car breaks down or a person you know, starts choking in a restaurant somebody comes and is there and knows exactly how to, how to save you or how to help you at that moment in time you know why that person just may have been there then it might not have even been your chesed that you did that was reciprocated it might have been a chesed that your father once did for somebody or that your great great grandfather did for somebody and la'alofim HaKadosh Baruch Hu knew that someday your grandfather's grandchild will need a chesed. So he holds that chesed in the ground and he makes it sprout just in the nick of time. But it will always be repaid. HaKadosh Baruch Hu judges when it's going to be repaid. Don't say, oh, I did a chesed, nobody ever paid me back. It may not be repaid right away. It might not even be repaid in your lifetime. But you should know that someday it will be repaid in the right in the right time. And this is, I think, the greatest motivation for when we're thinking about doing chesed. Chesed is a hard thing to do. I don't know really how people join organizations such as Hatzalot. To me, like these people are, are great heroes. I, I don't know how they do it, honestly. I can't see physically how people do it. How people in the middle of the night, a freezing cold night with icy roads, they get up and the last thing they want to do, they're in the same toasty bed, you know, situation that, that, that we're in, in the winter. And yet they're able to get dressed right away at 2 o'clock in the morning. Draw, think of, just think about it for a second, what they do. They drive on slippery roads to get to somebody's house who's having a heart attack. Then they put them in an ambulance. They take the ambulance to a hospital. They take the patient out of the ambulance. They sign a million papers for insurance purposes. And they wait till a doctor or a family member comes. They mamish get back maybe 9 o'clock in the morning. In the meantime, they missed their night's sleep. They missed Philobit Sibur. They missed, uh, you know, waking their kids up. They, they missed uh, a Friday night Suda. They missed the Seder night, uh, Pesach night Seder. They miss Ne'ilo of Yom Kippur. They miss Kol Nidre. They miss uh, eating in the sukkah. With their, I don't know how they do it. I, I, the more I speak about it, the more I'm incredulous. Think of it, just think about it. We take it for granted. You know, it's all uh, cool you know, lights on their cars or whatever. Like, how do they do it? How do they physically do it? I don't know. I really don't know the answer to the question. It's Mamash Ateku by me. I don't know how people join Atzala and actually do this work. Chaverim, I think I could do a lot easier... Then, uh, then I, I like Chaverim. Chaverim, I don't know, just like there's something appealing to Chaverim that I think I could do it maybe, but I, I, you know, Hatzol, I don't know how they do it. But they do it. 
And the only thing that would motivate a, p- a person potentially to do it, I think, is either that you're a tremendous Balchesed, which I think many of them, if not all of them, are, and they have, they have a heart of gold to be able to give so much to Klai Yisrael, but on a personal, just on a, on, even on a selfish level, to understand that when you do chesed like this on that level, HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes care of you. HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes care of you. He protects you, like we say in davening every week on, on Shabbos, If you do such with faith, you take care of the tzibor, HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes care of you. HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes care of you. They themselves are protected from sickness. takes care of their parnas, of their health, of their security, of their safety, of their family. That would be a major impetus, I think, to, to join Hatzal, to join Chaveim, to join organizations, or even on a more local level, to learn with, with Bachem that need it. To help a Talmud that's stressed out about something, it doesn't have to be in learning. If they're if they're not doing well in chemistry or in physics or in uh, writing uh, their English comp, you know, help them out. Give them an old copy of a test or something. I'm joking, um, but you know, do something that will help them, that will enable them to get through school. But do something. It will never ever. It will never, you will never suffer from doing chesed. That's the way it is with life. The greatest investment that a person can do is doing chesed with other people. When you give, that's the greatest way that you receive. You receive right away, by the way. Is there a better feeling than visiting somebody that's sick? You feel like you're actually doing something. You're actually doing a chesed that's helping them. Is there a bigger chesed than if you know somebody needs a shidduch to try to think about a shidduch for them, even if you don't find anybody for them, even if you're not successful, but the mere fact that you're helping them when nobody else is helping them, you know how many girls there are and guys that are, you know, are desperate, they're sitting and they're, you know, they're, they're, they, they want to get married so badly, and nobody's picking up a phone, nobody's calling, nobody's suggesting anyone, it's, it, it must be the most depressing experience for anybody. So imagine if you think of a, you know such a person, a boy or a girl that, you know, needs a shidduch, and you think of, you spend a few minutes of your day, and you think about, hey, there's a guy in yeshiva that I think might be a, might be a good match, and you put the two of them together, you try. They might, one of them might say, no, that's fine, but you try. There's no greater feeling than, than helping other people. And that will always come back. You help other people, Shidduchim, your Shidduchim is Hashem will, will go smoothly. You help other people with their, with Chinuch, the Chinuch of your children, Hashem will go smoothly. You help other people with Parnassah, your Parnassah will go smoothly. Whatever you give to other people, that is the greatest investment that will come back to you in spades. This is the Chavetz Chaim's recite from our parsha. Moshe got up and he saved them. He was the first Hatzalah person. He went and he saved the Bnei Yisrael and right away they saved him back. Didn't take too long. His life was saved because of what he did for them. 
This is something that's a, an amazing yisait, and I think it's a, a, a great yisait for us to, to galvanize ourselves to do chesed for others. It's difficult, we're thinking about ourselves, and, and we have to think about ourselves, but the greatest matana that you could give to yourself is thinking about others. That's the irony, that's the paradox of chesed. In the Mitzvah Hashem, we should all be zeichet to all the brachas. I had a Rebbe who used to um, say to us in 12th grade, he said, how much money would you pay to have the G'dayla Yisrael at the time, at the time it was uh, you know, a different set of G'dayla than it is today, but I'll just you know, change some of the, uh, the names to, to, to make it more, more contemporary. How much money would you pay to have Reb Chaim Kanievsky daven for you every Shabbos that you should be healthy and that you should be protected? How much money would you pay to have to have uh, Shmuel Kamenetsky, to have Rav Aaron Shechter, to have uh, Rav Gershom Edelstein. How, how much would you pay for these great G'dayli Yisrael to daven every single Shabbos that you should be protected? You would pay millions of dollars if you had it. He says, all you have to do is be Isaac B'Tzach Ve'Tzivar Ve'amunah. Every Gadol is davening that same Nusach on Musaf Shabbos. That's a bracha that's given to every individual. That's Isaac. That's thinking about somebody else. That's That's trying to share in your burden. Thinking about what you need. If you need a shidduch. If you need a. a if you need to do well in in, in learning. If you need a parnasa to help out. Whoever helps out in any which way, in any form that you want. You pick it. You pick the chesed that you're comfortable with. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will repay you, will protect you, will, will say you won't have any machla, any refuah, unnecessary. HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes care of those who help others. And so it's free. All you have to do is use your mind and, and, and then think about what you could do to help other people. There are so many people, just in yeshiva itself, that need our help. You have no idea. So many people are drowning and floundering and have so many issues you cannot imagine. And there's a few people, obviously, the Anhala and the, uh, and, uh, you know, and the Kailua guys are you know, very much interested, hopefully, in, in all helping as much as they can. But don't leave it to the, the professionals. You don't have to be a, have a rabbi title in front of your name in order to help others. If you see a roommate, if you see a chavrusa, if you see a guy in your shir, if you see a guy in your class, and you see that there's something wrong with him, he's upset about something, he's depressed, don't ignore him. Be there for him. Go out, treat him to a slice of pizza, go bowling with him. Pick him up, make sure that he's whole. That's your responsibility. It's not my responsibility alone. It's your responsibility. We all have to help. We're one family. We have to help one another and make sure that we're all doing well. And if we're all doing well, then then Akedah Baruch will grant individually and communally tremendous brachatas. But if we're only thinking about ourselves at all hours of the day and night, and we couldn't care less about the plight of other people, then we've missed the whole point of Yiddishkeit. We've missed the whole point of being in Yeshiva. Take advantage of these parshas to learn the Musr. How much Musr can we learn from Meshra Abenu? He left the comforts of his own palace to go and help Klai Yisrael, to literally stick his neck out for Klai Yisrael. This is the lesson that we should take from these parshas. 
how we also have to leave the comfort of our palace. We're all hopefully in a good place. We have a, we have what we need hopefully in life, and we have the head that Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave us. We have the the resource that Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave us. We have the 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 health that Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave us. Don't sit in your own palace and ignore the plight of others. Go and reach out to others, help others, do chesed with others. In yeshiva, you don't have to join Atzala, you don't have to join Chaveirim. If you want to do that later, that's fine. But in yeshiva itself, there's so much Atzala that needs to be done. There's so many Chaveirim that need to be made. There's so much, so much chesed that's begging within this room, within us. And the more that we give, the more we'll get. You want Hatzlacha in your learning? Find a Shvachar guy than you and learn with him and learn with him with a Geshmat. Don't make him feel like a Shnara. Make him feel like an equal, if not a greater person. You know how hard it is to struggle in learning? And he's doing it and he's coming to base Medrash. He wants to learn. What do you, give him what he needs. Give him the Sipa. Give him the Geshmat that he's asking for. It will never cost you a dime and it will only give you millions of dollars worth of Chachmas HaTayra. The Rabbi Nishim will give you so much Shefa Bracha Vatzlacha because you are doing these acts of Chesed, of Tzedakah, of Tayras Chesed. And that's the beauty of, of, of the entire Tayra, that we, when we're able to leave our comfort zone and help others, we don't know the feeling that we get from that immediately and we don't know the dividends that we will get. Mitzah Hashem, Lasud Lovey. Have a wonderful Shabbos.